Hey there, and welcome to episode number 58 of the Food as Medicine show with Dr. Ann, the place to be for real talk with real people and real results so you can heal yourself naturally. I'm your host, Dr. Ann, and I'm a board-certified pharmacist and health coach specializing in treating thyroid, cholesterol, and gut conditions without medications. You can learn more about me at drann.com, spelled A-N-H as in healthy. Greetings, everyone, from Cape Town, South Africa. I am recording this on a Saturday morning as I'm getting ready to go to the Old Biscuit Mill Market, which is apparently the place to go on a Saturday morning. And I'm told that this is where I can go for great local food, as well as some arts and crafts. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to find some nice gifts for my family when I'm there. Also, one of the things I really love to do when I'm here in Cape Town is to host a question and answer session on Periscope, either from the world's famous Table Mountain or the lovely Kirstenbosch Gardens. And I think I've mentioned this before, but I really love to do more Google Hangouts in the future because, you know, it's nice to do the podcast, but sometimes I feel like I'm just talking to myself and, you know, I'd love to, you know, engage with more people and um, find out what you want to hear more about and, you know, what you think of the show and just, just feel like I'm not always talking to myself. So, um, at, you know, when you hop on the email list at drann.com, I will send you information about the Periscope that I'll be doing from Cape Town, which will be sometime this week because I'm only here for another week. And then I'll also notify you of future dates for other Periscopes and other Hangouts as well. So, um, you know, make sure you're on the email list at drann.com because I like to make these a more regular occurrence. Also, I recently did an interview with Dr. Stephen Masley, who is one of my heroes when it comes to pioneering heart health, and he has a holiday guide that um, is meant to help you jumpstart your health for the holidays as well as for the new year, which I'll be sending out to everyone in the next newsletter, so be sure to hop on the email list at drann.com to make sure that you don't miss out on this free gift and um, an opportunity to get your heart health on the right path um, for the holidays and especially for the new year. And before we get to the episode, I want to let you know that the opinions expressed on this show may not represent my opinions, and the show is for general information only, not a substitute for medical care. So prior to beginning any new health program, I recommend that you consult with a qualified health professional. And in today's episode, I chat with Dr. Keisha Ewers, who is an expert in functional medicine and particularly in the field of sexology. She uses the libido level as a marker of health, just like an indicator on a car's dashboard. So Keisha and I, we talk about why women cry in their first session with her, what it takes to get women to get the freedom to feel fabulous, mood versus willingness and how this simple mind shift can reignite your desire, the five root causes of low libido, the effect of genes on depression and anxiety, when she uses BHRT in her practice and more. Now, just a quick note uh, before we get to the episode, I did record this interview at a coffee shop in Cape Town because the Airbnb that I was staying at was having problems with their internet service. So my apologies in advance for the background noise, but I really do think Keisha shared a lot of great information. So I really do hope that you enjoy the episode. Welcome, Keisha, to the show. Really nice to be here, Dr. Ann. Thank you. Oh, you can just call me Anne. Um, I'm so excited. It's it's a topic that when I was telling people I was interviewing you, they were like, can I listen in too? So um, I'm, I'm so excited to have you as a guest. Um, I know you have a background in the medical field for over 30 years, and you know you completely reversed your rheumatoid arthritis through functional medicine and other approaches. What I'm interested in is, you know, how did you start focusing on functional sexology specifically rather than, um, you know, functional medicine generally or rheumatoid arthritis or autoimmune conditions? Why did you focus on libido? You know, that's an interesting story because when I had rheumatoid arthritis, I didn't have any libido. And, you know, it's a, when I started working with my patients after I'd cured my rheumatoid arthritis, I had so many women coming into my office and saying the same thing. I don't have any libido. It's gone. And I don't know what to do. And I feel that you prescribe bioidentical hormone replacement. And I would say, uh, yes, I do work with bioidentical hormones. Let's do some testing and see where you're at. But then after they would settle back in the chair because they were excited that I was listening to them and they were going to get what they wanted, then they would start 
you know, just relaxing and I would say, okay, so let's, let me ask you a few questions. And it would be things like, do you like your partner or have you ever had libido? And I would get a lot of tears and I would think, wow, this is so interesting. And when I would say what's going on for you, they would say things like, well, my husband had an affair two years ago or I lost my job and my husband and I aren't communicating very well financially or um, things like that, you know. So it turns out that I would, you know, I would say, okay, so progesterone and estrogen and testosterone aren't going to do a lot of good for this issue. We need to actually go after this thing. So I went back to school to get my doctorate in sexology because what I was finding is the medical literature didn't reflect what I was seeing in my office with women. So that was a, it was a journey that led me into, as I would go to functional medicine conferences, they would talk about whatever the presenter was talking about, maybe fibromyalgia or hypertension or metabolic syndrome. Always, one of the comorbidities or the side things that was going on was low libido, but no one was really talking about the low libido itself. So, as you mentioned, I have a master's degree in Ayurvedic medicine, and I knew that that was really important. Uh, so I said, okay, I need to really address this issue because it's actually a reflection of this person's vitality. And it's just as important as everything else we're studying and talking about in functional medicine. So that's how I came to this as making it a subject matter in and of itself. Sure. So, um, you know, I, I, when you were talking, it, it struck me how um, open your, your patients were to communicating with you. Um, you know, how, and this is a very personal um, topic that you help people with. So how do you create that space for people to be able to come to you to share what exactly is going on with them on a deeper level rather than on a surface level? Well, you know, this is another really great question because when I, I teach a um, health coaching certification course in functional sexology, and what I teach my health coaches is that you have to create safe space and uh, this is a really delicate subject for both men and women. And I think that by nature, uh, I have an hour to an hour and a half from my intake appointment. And I talk about libido's story when I'm teaching the subject matter being one of the five root causes of low libido. And your story is so important. And that's one of the things that I really focus on from the very beginning. And I think in the medical world, with especially the average insurance-based doctor's office visit being six minutes, you know, it's very difficult for a woman to go into any kind of a clinical setting and expect to be heard because we're always in such a rush. So having that hour to 90 minutes as an intake appointment, I'm very relaxed. And I just start with, I really want to hear your story. To me, that's one of the most important things that we're going to do today. So they they know that that's important and I have Kleenexes on my, my desk and that is one of the things that I've learned is that almost every woman on her first visit will start to cry in my office. And I used to just say, they would apologize, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm crying. And I'd say, oh, it's because there's so much estrogen in this clinic because there are a lot of women that you know, all of us work there. And, and then after a while I thought, you know, that's actually not the case. And so I would say it's because you're being heard and someone really cares about your story and I'm here to listen to you. And that is actually, they would say, that's so true. I've never been able to tell anyone this. So sometimes people tell me about sexual abuse in their past that they've never told anyone. And I think now that they read on my website, you know, about functional sexology and that I have a PhD in sexology as well as medicine and Ayurveda, and I'm a psychotherapist, they feel comfortable that I'm going to be able to handle whatever the story is and feel like, okay, I can go ahead and tell this and someone will know what to do with it. They know I'm not going to feel uncomfortable. So that's one of the reasons in the literature, um, when you look at the medical research, that only 30% of medical providers even ask about anything to do with sex in the office with their patients. 
And usually what the question is they're asking is about sexually transmitted diseases or contraception. People aren't getting asked how their sex life is or if they're satisfied. And so I think that this is a really important discussion to be having in our offices with our clients. Yeah, and you know, um, it's interesting that you kind of talk about the libido story because I think that's one of the key components of your approach because um, when I was on your website, you know, you, you kind of use that as um, the starting point um, and, and actually teach people how to how to even rewrite their story. Um, so can you share more of how, how the story plays into the healing process? Absolutely. So I teach a webinar about this. Uh, one of the things I realized is even though I have very long appointments in my office, that still it's not enough to really help people explore on a really deep level in, in, in the time that they need to do this. So I wrote this workbook that's called Your Libido Story, and I teach a webinar called Your Libido Story, and it leads into a seven-week um, webinar series called The Libido Cure which actually is just starting. So any of your listeners that want to participate in that, they can do it right now. And the libido story process is really going back into childhood because we know that whatever beliefs that you have about yourself today as an adult were actually wired when you were a child. So for example, if you have a poor body image, and are uncomfortable being naked in front of a partner, then that's actually an inhibition for having a free sex life. So one of the things that I say is I want you to have freedom to feel fabulous. And if you have a body image issue, then that's not giving you the freedom to feel fabulous and to be intimate with anyone. And I always think about um, intimacy with a partner as being another reflection of how you are in the world. Because think about it, when we're sexual or intimate with a partner, it's the most vulnerable that we ever are. So a lot of times that body image thing will start when you're a child from some comment that maybe a parent made or someone that you were with when you were a kid. And if you took up the meaning that I am not attractive when you were a child, then you're going to be in a roller coaster as an adult still trying to actually fix that in yourself or hiding yourself. And so once you can really nail that that actually happened, you can rewrite that and, and get some freedom from it. Another one that I see a lot with women is I have to uh, be perfect to be loved. And so if you decided when you were a kid that in order to get attention from your caregivers, that you needed to actually be a really good girl and, and just as perfect as possible, this was actually one of mine when I was a kid, then you're going to exhaust your adrenal glands trying to prove to yourself that you're good enough and have some worth in the world. And so one of the things that I teach people is to get underneath what their story is. What are the events that happened in your early childhood? What's the meaning that you made up about them? And what, can, what are the behaviors that you adopted to match that meaning? And are they serving you well in your adulthood? And if they're not, we can actually redo it. You just have to redo the tape, but you have to know that it's in there first. So it's a, it's a pretty amazing process that you can gain freedom from if you're aware that it's happening. But if those tapes are in your subconscious and you don't even know, then you're not free from it. Yeah, I think that's so true. You know, once you're aware, um, then you can start to work on it. But um, making sure that we get to that phase is is crucial. Um, so once someone is aware that they've got these these tapes, as you say, playing in their head, you know, how long does it take to kind of rewire those tapes um, to, to say something different? It really depends on the person. So there's some resistance that can happen if you feel like that's not something that you actually do need to work on and you can keep that tape for the rest of your life until you die. If you're really willing, and this is interesting, I use this word willingness a lot in my practice. And the reason I use it is for several different reasons. One of them is if you're willing to go ahead and go after those tapes and redo them, then you can do it with practice pretty rapidly 
and just noticing that it's coming up each time because one of the great things about this world we live in is the universe gives you all kinds of opportunities to practice whatever your stuff is. But the, the word willingness comes up with libido itself because there was this really interesting study, Anne, that I read when I was working in my, uh, my doctoral dissertation research. And I was actually floored by this when I read it. And, I, and it's become the crux of a lot of what I do. The study that was done, it was done on a lot of women from all over the world. And it was looking at spontaneous sexual desire versus triggered sexual desire. And what this study found was that 69% of women that have been in a committed relationship for a year or more do not have spontaneous sexual desire. So in other words, once they feel comfortable that they have their partner, then they don't have the same kind of sexual desire they had when they were first getting into the relationship. And what the study further found was that if they were willing to experience arousal, in other words, they knew that they love their partner, they know that they, they enjoy the after effects of being intimate with their partner, they know that they can get aroused because they've been there before and they've done it, and they can, then they can go and become sexually engaged with their partner, become aroused, and then feel desire after arousal. Now that flies in the face of Masters and Johnson from the 1960s who made a very linear sexual response cycle that all medical providers are taught still today, which is that desire comes first, then arousal, then orgasm, and then your rest period. And actually in the early 2000s, Dr. Rosemary Besson came up with a circular cycle for women. Now some women follow that linear cycle of there's first desire, then there's arousal, then there's orgasm, then we move on. But Rosemary Besson said, well, hang on a second, because some women, all women have different motivations for becoming sexually engaged with a partner in the first place. Sometimes it's emotional intimacy, not physical. So they wanna feel close to their partner. So if that emotional intimacy is being fed, then they're willing to become engaged with their partner sexually, desire will follow. And this was very revolutionary thinking. I think any woman that is sexually active with a committed partner can actually identify with this and say, yeah, if I'm kind of crabby with my partner, I'm not in the mood to have sex with them. And that, that I'm not in the mood has become the mantra for a lot of women and they wait till they're in the mood. So a lot of times when I have a client in my office, I'll say, why don't you instead gauge the, your emotional intimacy level with your partner and say, you know what, I would like to be closer to my partner. I know that I can be um, aroused. I know we've done this before and I've had fun. So I'm willing to not be in the mood and just engage and see what happens. And that really works for a lot of women. If there's a history of sexual trauma or there's abuse in the relationship, if the woman doesn't feel safe, none of this stuff applies, obviously. I'm talking about for a safe, committed relationship where both love each other. There's so many pieces um, to that, but I, you know, I love that you reframe, you reframed it so that instead of saying I'm not in the mood, it's like, what is my desire in becoming closer to my partner? And then that totally shifts the thinking. Um, and then I, I would think that would put someone like myself in the mood, you know, um, yeah. just by re reframing that conversation. Um, so I guess it's a little bit more complicated, as you alluded to, but is there, you know, if there's trauma or abuse, um, is there more deep, deeper emotional work that needs to be done before um, the, the rewiring of the brain and the, the messages can, can be changed? Um, and, you know, um, how, how does one do that if, if there's been a history of such, such thing? So this is a really important and very important conversation to be having. And it's one of the reasons that I publicly talk about the fact that I have sexual abuse in my history, which is probably why I'm so good at what I do. I had to learn all of this for myself. I'm really good at treating autoimmunity because I had rheumatoid arthritis. 
Um, I'm, I'm an expert at leaky gut, and I also really know how to help women and guide them through this process of rewiring their brain because when I was 10 years old, I had my vice principal in my elementary school abusing me. And that's something that then creates a post-traumatic stress disorder, and that actually affects the parts of the brain that women need to light up for sexual desire. So in other words, if their hurt comes back up or their trauma comes back up, then the parts of the brain they need to feel sexual desire get co-opted by a fight or flight response. And so it's impossible for them to feel desire. So what has to happen, this is why I became a psychotherapist, is because as I was working with people medically, I kept seeing all of this old stuff that was happening emotionally that was inhibiting them from healing from things like cancer or lupus or MS or any kind of chronic illness of hypertension, you know, all the things that we work with in functional medicine, there's an emotional root cause for 95% of what we see in our offices. And so that's why another reason I went back to school because I started seeing it in myself and I thought, okay, how am I going to get rid of this? You have to do some sort of trauma release work with your brain in order to get past this. And the, there are three different modalities that I found that work really well. And I trained in all three of them. And they are amazing for rewiring your brain when you've had trauma. One of them is called EMDR or eye movement desensitization reprocessing. It has a lot of research behind it for PTSD, especially um, people coming home from war and, uh, or natural disasters, and then also trauma. Another one is called brain spotting, which I consider a more elegant, uh, faster way of working with trauma. It's EMDR um, 2.0, you could say. Uh, so it, it works really well also. And then uh, clinical hypnotherapy works really well too, but it's sometimes people, hypnotherapy can. Um, get confusing because uh, people will go to somebody that's been trained to just work with people to like smoking cessation or weight loss and not the clinical aspect of it. So there are certain programs that take people deep for trauma release and then some that don't. So I usually will recommend um, EMDR or brain spotting and then I'll recommend a specific kind of hypnotherapy for people that are trying to get over their trauma. So this is a really interesting thing that has to happen if you're going to clean out the closet in your brain so you don't keep going into fight or flight. Fight or flight means uh, you're a zebra being chased by a lion on the savanna in Africa. And that zebra, if they think they're about to be the next meal for the lion, is wired to understand that they can't stop and go to the bathroom or they're going to get eaten. So all of the uh, physiological responses that help us go to the bathroom get shut down and also the zebra knows it's not safe to stop and reproduce you can't stop and have sex and have a baby or you're dead and so that's one of the things that the body knows too if you're in fight or flight your hormones that are in charge of sexual desire your neurotransmitters that make you want to get into the mood are gone and so anytime that we're in that fight or flight response system we are in trouble when it comes to libido. So you have to actually work on that whole system, um, rewiring the brain, getting your um, adrenal glands to be relaxed, get into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the feed and breed side of us, and get out of fight or flight. And so we have to work on all those levels. There, there's a lot, it seems like, that needs to be addressed. Um, and it was so fascinating. You were saying that the emotional root emotions are about 95% um, of the root cause for chronic conditions. So then I guess I would think that, you know, we could do the gut and we can do the, the diet and, and the fancy testing and all that and the hormones. Even even all if all of that was optimized and the emotions are not optimized, what percentage of people that actually have complete remission or get better um, and have their libido improved? This is a, this is such an important uh, question because this is why I teach the health coaching, you know, functional sexology certification program to 
at anyone that wants to learn it, not just licensed medical providers, to people that are passionate about helping others, because I want to bridge the divisions we have inside of caregiving in the United States. So in other words, we've got the medical field, and inside the medical field, we have endocrinologists and gastroenterologists and cardiologists and dermatologists and pulmonologists, right? And then on the other side of the fence, we have the behavioral sciences, and we have therapists of all different shapes and sizes, too, that specialize in different things. So we're a country of specializations, and women are falling through the cracks with this, this way that we've done things. If you bring up your libido to a gastroenterologist, they are not going to know what to do with you. If you bring up your libido to a therapist, if they haven't been trained in sexology, then they're not going to quite know what to do with you either if they don't understand this whole idea of neurotransmitters and the adrenal glands and how that affects the hormones. So what I've been doing is bridging these worlds and saying, look, medical people, you've got to understand that there are some very easy things you can do in the office to understand emotional root cause. And therapists, you guys have to understand that there are some things physically that if you don't take, you know, make sure your client's being taken care of in this way, then the therapy that you're doing is not going to stick. So you have to be able to address both sides of this issue for us to be able to have that vitality when we have these things going on and so I just think we've come at it from a very you know bizarre way of compartmentalizing everything when we are not compartmentalized people and it's why I love Ayurvedic medicine because 10,000 years ago in this framework of medicine that's the sister science of yoga they said we are not all the same person your emotions your spirituality your mind and your body are all very important and they interact with one another and it, it all affects is affected by the food that you eat by your digestion by the season that you're in by the age that you're in by the way your thoughts work and so they understood all of this in this very elegant way so one of the things i teach my students is how to really understand ayurveda so that they have a different framework of understanding the person in front of them you can look at someone's tongue and know how their digestion is doing. You can look at their fingernails and know how they're absorbing, you know. And so in functional medicine, we talk about this bridging all of those areas. And we do all this amazing testing, but we're not spending a ton of time on the emotional world. And so that's one of the things that I really feel strongly about and why I I'm brought this up as a whole new, new domain of science and created functional sexology because I really wanted people to understand that this all has to be bridged. We're not compartmentalized creatures. Yeah, I love that. You know, it, we definitely are holistic beings and, and we have to be viewed holistically as, as um, the whole rather than pieces of the whole. Um, and I think you're especially, um, you know, positioned to do that because of your unique experience. Um, so we've spent some time talking about the emotional piece. You know, I, I guess maybe we can move into the more tactical things that you do to evaluate a person um, when they come into your office. You know, so as, for example, the genetic testing um, or the nutritional assessments um, or the adrenal function tests. Um, where do you, I guess, where do you start with a person? Um, you start with their libido story and then, and then where do you go from there to test um, what else might be going on with them? So it depends on what their story is, uh, what I choose next. But if it's, um, so you know how I said the brain lights up on PET scans with PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, um, it lights up the parts of the brain that we need for sexual desire. Well, actually, Peter Mall did a study several years ago that showed that daily chronic stress lights up those same parts of the brain in the same way as big trauma. So this kind of, you know, describes most people in the United States today, a daily chronic stress. So if I, when I'm doing an intake with somebody and I'm finding enough stress points, then I'm definitely going to be doing some adrenal and hormone testing. 
I also, depending on what they say, if they say that I've had eczema since I was a baby, um, then I'm going to be looking at their gut, you know, because obviously they had leaky gut from the very beginning and their mom probably didn't have a healthy microbiome herself. And so I want to really look at that. And then if they say that I've had, um, I've been depressed or I've been having anxiety since I was a child. Um, and then I look at their genogram and upstream, they've got parents that have some of the same issues. I really want to look at genetics very quickly. So I will have them do a direct-to-consumer genetic test such as 23andMe. And I look at the nutrigenomics component of this too because there are several uh, what we call single nucleotide polymorphisms or SNPs or what a lot of times people call mutations in neurotransmitter gene genetics that we can actually change or turn off using lifestyle choices or what we call epigenetics. And I find that that is powerful because as I was doing my research and I did my study on the impact of held on to hurt on women and sexual desire, what I found was there was a certain personality type that had a harder time healing from all of it and had a harder time giving up their mental constructs and the meanings that they created that weren't serving them. And this personality type was is called in the literature um, neuroticism. And no one likes to hear that they're neurotic. That's kind of a, a word that we hear bandied <laughs> about a lot. But actually there's a personality style that is in that category of neuroticism that I have found tie-ins in their genetics for. And so there are certain uh, SNPs, like I said, that I see a pattern for that will create that personality type more readily. And so when I can work with that on that DNA level, and I can show them that this is why they have a hard time letting go of stuff and letting go of their hurts, and they're a little bit more hypervigilant about looking for places where they're not safe, then they actually relax into that and they're more willing to um, do what it takes to reorganize it for themselves because they see that they're wired for it. They can look upstream and say, yeah, my mom was like that too, or my dad, you know, and so I really see that this doesn't work for me and I'd like to change it. So I love the testing because it gives hard data to a person it kind of helps them say, wow, this, this actually validates my experience. It's not all in my head. I'm not crazy. And I can't actually help it in a sense for the way that I've been living thus far. And now here you are telling me that if I stay away from certain foods and if I do certain things with my thought processes, actually, I don't have to be a victim of this. I can be free from it let's get going, you know, and they get excited about it. So it, it really helps to have that testing in front of them so that they can see, oh, this is actually a physiological thing that's going on for me and I'm not going crazy. Because a lot of times when you say that you need to do therapy, you know, people will still think that there's something terribly wrong and they're going crazy and they don't want to really talk about it. There's still shame around it. So using genetics and adrenal testing and hormone testing and looking at the gut helps them to pull it into this world of science and make it a little safer and more acceptable for them to deal with. So as far as the, the thing you were saying about the genetic testing, you were saying it's 23andMe is what you use to see if they have that genetic predisposition to that neurotic personality that would um, make them more or less able to let go. Is that right? That's just one example, but yes, I use 23andMe, and I can see where the root cause of depression can be, anxiety, um, if their adrenals, really, they've had trouble with adrenal the whole their whole lives because they have a COMT SNP, or, I mean, we're getting kind of technical now, or there's a problem with some neurotransmitter pathways like dopamine or a methylation deficit. Any of these problems actually can contribute to a low libido. So any of this stuff is going to um, be something that when you work with it, it, they're going to see a payout from it. Sure. Yeah. You know, I think um, you kind of hit it on the head in terms of, um, I think with testing, oftentimes when people see the results in black and white, they're, they have a, a defined 
path to follow and to, to kind of the steps um, present themselves as to how are they going to proceed with fixing um, you know the root causes of, of some of these things. So so you mentioned there's a lot of things that come into play for for low vitality. What are I guess the three big things that you see in people? Um, you know, is it hormones? Is it adrenals? Is it food sensitivities? You know, what are the three big um, root causes that, that you see day in and day out for people who have a low libido? So there, there are five root causes. The story is one, there's the physical stuff. And in that, uh, food sensitivities, definitely um, the, the adrenal burnout that causes the hormone imbalance in the first place, for sure. Um, and then if you move over then to the mental piece, uh, automatic negative thoughts, I see that as a big problem for a lot of women. Um, they're very, very overstressed in their lives and multitasking like crazy. And so they have a hard time letting go of, I still had to buy toilet paper and I forgot to do it when they're trying to have sex, you know, or <laughs> working on a project for their kids' homework in their heads or a project they still have due for work. So, you know, that's a big one. The, the number one issue for low libido in women though is emotional with um, relationship conflict being the first and number one thing. Low libido causes relationship conflict, and relationship conflict causes low libido. Now, when you have conflict, relationship distress or dissatisfaction, that actually sets your adrenal glands off and your gut. And so if those, those can't be separated, right? Uh, so I look at those as all very, very important, and they're all interrelated. Sure. So, um, so that's another interesting piece, the relationship conflict piece. Um, you know, so, okay, so there's these five pillars. We've got the physical, the food, the adrenals, the emotional, the automatic ne negative thoughts, the relationship conflict, and then the libido story. Um, is it a stepwise approach or do you, uh, you know, address both the physical and the emotional together? Or do you do the emotional first? How do you, you know, how do you proceed with somebody? Or again, does it just depend on the person? Well, it depends on the person and it definitely is um, something you can't, like I said, separate out in a linear way. So you have to be able to assess your client and say, okay, um, here are the stress points for them. They, and I always ask them to rate different aspects of their lives on a scale of zero to 10. When I first meet them in their intake paperwork, they filled out. And if I see that their romantic significant other only got a four on a scale of zero to 10 with 10 being the highest, then I know there's going to be some relationship stuff in there and I'll, I'll direct some of my questions in that direction. If I see that um, they put finances as a one, then I know that there's some financial stuff going on that causes stress, right? And so I'm looking for those stress points from the very outset. And that's how I guide my testing and my questions and where I go from there. So it may wind up that we have a completely um, emotionally related conversation about past trauma um, and what's going on in life today that's causing uh, emotional distress. Or it may be that we're focused completely on this uh, problem that they're having with gas and bloating and eczema or psoriasis and some autoimmune disorder and fatigued like crazy, can't sleep, um, brain fog, and we're going to be killing off yeast and working with food sensitivities and healing up the gut, and then libido can come back online. So it just sort of depends on how they answer the questions, which direction I go. So as far as, um, you know, the approach, you know, someone starts working with you, um, what's the kind of typical timeline that someone can expect before their libido comes back online? So that's going to depend on the root cause for sure. Um, but I always tell people that libido is the last to come back online. Um, if you have a thyroid disorder, then your libido is not going to be very robust and you know like if I ask you well how long will it take my thyroid to get better um, that you can't actually answer that you know that we have to say okay well let's let's see where it's at right now and uh, let's make some adjustments it could be in a week you know if 
if there's leaky gut that's been going on for a really long time and somebody ha has a lot of extracellular fluid and, and um, puffiness and they don't feel good all the time and we're trying to really help the whole system gain balance, that can take a little bit longer. Uh, I do find that libido can improve after one visit with me after that conversation that we just had earlier in, in the show about mood versus willingness. You know, if somebody um, is just saying, I'm just not in the mood all the time and my husband doesn't understand me, then we can have a talk about um, coming in for, I do couples counseling too, about doing some relationship counseling. And then I talk about that study that I told you and the listeners about. And oftentimes I'll have a woman come back and say, that actually works really well. And, you know, I'm actually more in the mood when I think that I don't have to be in the mood and it's really helping my relationship. So it just depends on the severity about how long it'll take. Sometimes it's one visit and sometimes it's a year, you know, of really working with um, rewiring the brain, getting the hormones back on track, getting the adrenals healed, getting leaky gut healed. It depends on how far someone's gone. Uh, we all know in functional medicine that it took a long time for someone to get imbalanced. And so we have to take that into perspective and put our seatbelts on and be patient if we've been sick for a really long time. But if it's just been, you know, a little while, then it'll just be a little while to get back on track. Sure. Yeah, I, I like to ask that question because I, um, then it comes from another person, right, as far as setting expectations for healing. Um, you know, I agree with you. I think people think, oh, I just want to get better right now. And sometimes it just doesn't happen that way. You know, it, um, everything is a process and sometimes healing uh, might take longer than you want it to take. But, um, but the rewards are, are definitely there. Um, you had mentioned earlier in the show about, you know, you had started in your career prescribing bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. I'm curious if that's something that you still do in your practice um, as, as part of the, the process and what your thoughts are about um, HRT, VHRT um, and the success that you have with your clients using that. I definitely uh, still prescribe bioidentical hormones when they're, when they're needed. I do a very comprehensive endocrine system testing, um, sometimes even neurotransmitter testing, but always a very complete panel of the thyroid. I look at the adrenal glands. I look at um, reproductive hormones. I look at uh, the pancreas and how it's doing and really wanting to, to make sure that the entire endocrine system um, is evaluated really well. And what I tell my clients is, is that I'll put them on bioidentical hormones if they've been in a pregnenolone steel, it's called. In other words, their adrenals have been co-opting their progesterone stores for years, and now they don't have any progesterone left. I'll give them some bioidentical progesterone, but I say, I'm only going to do this for um, a few weeks. And in the meantime, I'm going to give you the raw materials your body needs to make its own progesterone. And we're going to really focus on getting the hole in the bottom of your boat patched up with the reason that your adrenals are off in the first place. So we're going to work on this stress issue. That's the long game because it doesn't matter how many bioidentical hormones I give you. If there's a big old gaping hole in the bottom of your boat, that's like bailing it out with a teaspoon. So it's important that we get your body manufacturing and doing the things it's supposed to do and it was made to do by uh, giving it the freedom to do so. So I still give um, bioidentical hormone replacement to fill the buckets back up, so to speak, but I also wanna make sure that the main uh, factory is, is back online and that it's functional. Sometimes people have to be on a little bit of bioidentical for a really long time, um, but we all know, like if we give thyroid hormones, the thyroid gets lazy. So we don't want to make the body lazy. We want to get it back functioning the way it's meant to function. And we want to take care of root cause. And so that's my primary focus. Sure, I love that. Um, 
so then yeah it's definitely like a bridging therapy for people to feel better and then we then we approach the the root cause so that then we actually fix what's going on um and the underlying issue is there i feel like we've covered a lot of topics um is there anything that we haven't covered that you you make you want to make sure that you mention that people um, should be aware of in terms of um approaching their libido and how to fix it naturally uh well we haven't talked a ton about food sensitivities we've mentioned it but that is a big deal if you're i talked about you know the body going into fight or flight um if you are eating something day in and day out that your body is getting inflammation from then that is seen as a stressful event by your body and it can actually set off your alarm systems and so that's one of the things that I think people don't correlate very well together is that this inflammatory response that we have to anything in our lives actually affects your sexual desire. So we really want to make sure that we don't have um, a source of inflammation that's happening day in and day out and make sure that we're listening to our bodies and in harmony with our bodies so they don't have to scream at us to get our attention. Sure, perfect. Okay, so um, I know you've got a couple projects going on. I know you mentioned that there was a webinar that you had recently, um, and you have your seven-week program coming out. What What are some of the exciting things you've got in the works that you want to share with us? And you know, if people want to get a hold of you and work with you, how can they find you? Uh, thank you, Anne. So they can go to functionalsexology.com, and my email is. Uh, Dr. Keisha, D-R-K-E-E-S-H-A at functionalsexology.com. And on at functionalsexology.com under programs, there is a webinar series that started last night that's recorded. And so you can jump in at any point. I let people start this webinar program into week three um, because it is recorded and all the materials are on a members only area on my website and they can go in and download that and listen to it at their leisure and do the activities. And it's a really robust, amazing program that's scientifically validated. I have um, you know, literally thousands of people that have had amazing results from the things that I'm doing in this program. So if anyone is suffering from low libido, now is the time, like right now, <laughs> to um, jump on this because you get the workbook that I was talking about, about your libido story. You can listen to the free webinar that I did a couple weeks ago and then last night's webinar and just dive into this group. And we have a private Facebook group um, for everyone that participates in it. So it's a tribe of people that are all supporting each other and are very excited to be making the transformations in their lives that they're making. And then a lot of these people go on to become health coaches of functional psychology. So I run a certified um, program for health coaches that want to learn functional medicine and these therapy tools and some Ayurvedic medicine um, that helps find and fix this root cause of low vitality in their clients. And I think the health coaching movement is a pretty exciting one because we're getting so that our insurance premiums are skyrocketing, our coverage is plummeting, and we're getting more and more um, limited with how long we can spend with our clients in the office. And so health coaches are not limited by that. And I think it's a service for primary care doctors to have their clients seeing a health coach for the things that take longer to explain. And then when they need something acute, then they can go into their primary care doc, um, a functional medicine primary care doc, and get those more acute things taken care of or things that need actual medical attention. So I'm very excited about this. I've had a lot of health coaches become certified and they're really excited about this niche that uh, they can provide for so many women that are starving for this, that really want to get their adrenals healthy. They want their hormones balanced. They want to feel good in their minds and in their bodies. And they wanna be free from their story if it's not serving them. Yeah, that's wonderful. Sorry for all the noise. It's just crazy here. In the um, I, anyway, um, I was just saying that it's wonderful that you have um, this as 
an option because you know I, I agree with you health coaching is is um, much needed and you know health is a is not an event it's a process right and health coaching allows people to to meet with with a practitioner on a more regular basis to address what's going on with them so I love that you have something that for people um, who are struggling with libido and then who want to help others in the process as well so um, functionalsexology.com under the programs tab I'll make sure I link that up in the show notes and um, Keisha it's been so fun um, and just chatting about something that I think is very important but doesn't get discussed very often um, and I appreciate your, your knowledge and your expertise um, and, and your time for coming on today it was my pleasure thanks so much Anne you're welcome hey so I hope you enjoyed the show all the links and resources mentioned today are in the show notes at drann.com, spelled A-N-H as in healthy. And while you're there, remember to hop on the Food as Medicine VIP email list and you'll get my free gift. It's the Clean Eating Rules and it's everything that I learned about nutrition when I was on my bodybuilding journey, which happens to be contrary to many of the things I learned in school. And it's really my number one guide from my experience for how to eat to lose weight, improve your biometrics, and get more energy. You'll also get all my favorite pearls from the show. And this show can be a bit technical at times with lots of details about what foods to eat, what foods to avoid, as well as what supplements to take and in what dosages, etc. So if you're anything like me, you're probably listening to this while driving, cooking, running some errands around the house, walking the dog, etc. And you really aren't in a position to be jotting down notes of all the great information that's shared by the guest. So... I've taken all the notes for you, and by hopping on my email list, you'll get all the show pearls delivered right to your inbox so you can refer back to them at any time. Finally, as a VIP email subscriber, you'll get the occasional love letters from me, which are emails sharing some of my favorite recipes and products, upcoming events, new information that I've learned, and just other goodies. So go to drann.com now and enter your name and email address. Did you like this episode? Then remember to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and leave us a review. This will really help us with the iTunes rankings and help more people find the show. Remember to tell all your friends because we need more people to hear the food as medicine message. We've got plenty of great guests coming up, so stay tuned. Thanks so much for stopping by and until next time, remember to eat consciously because the world needs a healthy and vibrant you. Oh,